0: We are so glad that you are here and have chosen to be a part of the crossing today. We want to send a special shout out to those of you who are watching online. ...or at one of our microsites, either in Utah or in northern Nevada. We're so glad to have you with us. And uh, this is the day where we joke about springing ahead. So throughout the day, that's just what we joke about. So at some point during this service, there may be some folks who will come in because they're confused. So don't don't judge. All right, don't judge them at all. We're so thrilled to have you with us in each and every week. And it's just our privilege to be able to just really encounter Jesus together... ...and to continue to discover him and to walk on our journeys with each other... One of the most baffling things that uh, we've learned, even over the last few weeks, from a broader perspective about Jesus as we've studied his life through the lens of Mark's narrative, is that even though he showed up as a religious leader, he just did not gravitate towards religious people. He was sent from God, but he didn't seem to pursue the people who considered themselves the closest to God and he was also well liked and in that time and even in our time those who lead with religion are not normally the most popular the listened to or the most well received at least by the culture at large but andy stanley i love this he says it this way people who were nothing like jesus actually liked jesus i think that's awesome and he liked them back he liked them back. The people who were the most comfortable with the temple and all the garb, all the activities, all that religious stuff, they were the most uncomfortable with Jesus. And likewise, the ones who were the most uncomfortable with all of those things were the most comfortable with Jesus. If you're bored this afternoon before you take your nap and you want to do something fun, go back and reread. You can do it in an hour or so, the entire book of Mark. And as you're reading, I want you to do something different this time. Just circle every time you see the word crowd. There is a crowd in almost every chapter in the book of Mark because everywhere that Jesus went, he drew a crowd. And these were mostly people who were nothing like him, yet they liked him. And the challenge for me personally, and the challenge for you, and the challenge for us as a church together, especially in the cultural climate that we live in, is this. The church is his body. We are his body. We are the reflection of him, which means what is true of Jesus personally should be true of us collectively. Let me say that again. What is true of Jesus personally? What we've learned about him, what what we're studying, what we're identifying to be his core values and who he is and what he was all about should be true of us collectively. And the fact was that people were drawn to him. They were moved by his life. They were challenged by his teachings. They were challenged by his priorities and the perspective he brought. They were compelled by what he had to say about God. And this was despite the fact that they didn't actually always get him. They didn't believe everything that he said. They didn't understand most of what he taught. And this should be true of us as well. What was true of him personally should be true of us collectively. People should be drawn to believers. If you're a believer here today, if you're a follower of Christ, people should be drawn to us because we are in line and on mission with what Jesus was up to. We should be the most likable people in the community. Not because we want to be liked, but because we reflect Jesus in everything that we are and everything that we do. Whether people agree with us or not, or whether they believe with us or not. People should like us even if they are nothing like us. And as a church at the Crossing, this has always been at the core of our mission That we would line up with the posture of Jesus collectively as a group. And this is important because if separately we can all just look a bit more like Jesus, then together we can look a lot like him. If all the different pieces and parts of us are just trying collectively to move and to reflect him more, then as a unit together, as a community, we can look a lot like him. And specifically, as a church, we want to be in the habit of removing barriers like this. We want to be in the habit of removing barriers that would limit people's access to God. We want to be intentional, both personally and corporately, about the things that we would notice that would stand in the way of someone coming face-to-face with Jesus and having the opportunity to respond accordingly. Now, One of the reasons that Jesus was so hard to resist, even for people who were actually resistant to the gospel, was that he used different adjectives to describe people, different than what you and I would normally use. Now, let's be honest, we all have adjectives that we use to describe people. We do. We use them all the time. It normally looks something like this, the blank people, okay, okay? You fill in the blank. It's our fill-in-the-blank mentality. We would say something like this. Those are the rich people, right? Those are the educated people. Those are the uneducated people. When you show up at something, you're at a soccer field, you're at a soccer game, or you're at your office party, or you're out in the community, you kind of get that sense. Let's be honest. That you, you look around the room and you kind of go, those are my people, and those people over there are probably not my people. you know. Now, if they're not your people, you're like polite, but you're not like going to go golfing with them or head out on vacation. You're not going to do that because for some reason in us, we're like, those are not my people, and so I'm going to hang out with my people. So we all have these adjectives that we use. Bad people, good people, respectable people, Republican people, Democrat people, Libertarian people. Running people, non-running, lame people. It's this fill-in-the-blank instinct that we have. And it's listen, it's never going to completely go away. We're not going to change that. It's, it's just kind of how we, how we are. But what was different about Jesus is when it came to filling in the blank, when it came to those adjectives, he had a unique way that he prioritized his adjectives. And so people who were nothing like Jesus were drawn to him because of the way he prioritized and the way he viewed people in the world. And we've already experienced that when Jesus talked about it earlier on in the book of Mark, all the way back in Mark chapter 2. He talked about this prioritization when he said this. It is not the healthy who need a doctor, but the sick. There you go. Fill in the blank. Not the healthy people, but the sick people i have not com- come to call the righteous but sinners but today in mark chapter 11 if you're if you're standing by right there Today we're about to see Jesus move beyond words, right? It's like a parent's when you say, don't do that again, don't do that again. If you do that again, one more time. So Jesus has already set us up and now he's about to take those words and take them into action and to demonstrate his perspective and priority. Now we pick up the narrative in Mark 11 and it's a little bit different because he's already entered Jerusalem on what would be his final journey to the cross, And so Palm Sunday, which isn't for a couple more weeks, that already has kind of happened in our narrative. He's come in, he's riding on the back of the donkey, they're waving the palm leaves. And so there's this celebratory feeling that's going on in Jerusalem, but there's also this tension... There's also like, what's going to happen? He's arrived. The the religious leaders are not thrilled that he's there. The people are excited. They think this is the moment where everything's going to change. And he immediately goes to the most holy place in Jerusalem, the temple. And that's when things get complicated. Verse 15, on reaching Jerusalem, Jesus entered the temple courts and began driving out those who were buying and selling there. He overturned the tables of the money changers and the benches of those selling doves, and he would not allow anyone to carry merchandise through the temple courts. And as he taught them, he said, is it not written, my house, my house, That was a bold statement, my house, my house will be called a house of prayer for all nations, but you have made it a den of robbers. Here comes the response, verse 18. The chief priests and the teachers of the law, the religious folks, they heard this and they began looking for a way to kill him for they feared him. They were angry and they wanted, they wanted to get rid of him. But because of, they were because the whole crowd was amazed at his teaching. The religious leaders were stunned. The people that saw this all happen were amazed. Now Mark mentions that Jesus entered the temple area. And I want to give you some illustrations because this is significant. Because as you see in this, this is a a model of the temple at that time. It's massive. And near the top left there, this is what you would have stepped into when you came to the temple. It was the first area you got to called the Court of the Nations. Some of them called it the Court of the Gentiles. This was the only part where anyone would come and could come. This is where... The only part where non-Jews were allowed. It was the biggest section of the temple, and you had to go through it to get to the rest. On this other little illustration, which is very simple, I like this, right? You see the court of the Gentiles, then you have the outer court, inner court, and then the altar and the holy of holies. You can kind of see how the progression goes there. Now in this picture, where, where the court of the nations was, that's where all the business was set up. That's where all of these tables were set up that Mark is referring to. And it was nuts. I mean, when Jesus walked into this area, he would have immediately seen masses of people buying and selling animals at dozens and dozens of stalls. There would have been tables set up with foreign currency exchanged at these money uh, changers tables. There would have been all these things that people needed to do or could have bought. There could have been T-shirts. There would have been like mugs. There could have been all those things like welcome to the temple, all that kind of stuff that would have been there. And thousands of people flooded into Jerusalem on Passover week, buying tens of thousands of animals to be sacrificed. The ancient historian Josephus told us that on one particular Passover week, 250,000 lambs were bought and sold and sacrificed. I mean, get a picture of the New York Stock Exchange. Remember those pictures where the tickets were flying and and all that chaos that's going on, and then throw animals in the middle of that. And you get a picture of what the temple courts would have been about. I mean, imagine the crossing. If we flooded the courtyard with Girl Scout cookies on one particular Sunday, and it's just Girl Scout cookies, and there's tables everywhere, and, you know, there's the peppermint patties and the peanut butter patties and all of that that goes on. I mean, this is the atmosphere that was happening that Jesus stepped into. But what was interesting was that this was the place that even the Gentiles were supposed to come where they could connect With God and find God through reflection and prayer. But it wasn't happening, instead, it was chaos. And Jesus' response to the chaos, he started throwing the furniture around. He started tossing the tables around. And imagine the religious leaders who already were not thrilled with him hurrying over in panic. What's going on? Jesus, is there a problem? Security, why are you doing this? And then he quotes from the prophet Isaiah, whom they would have respected, who said, my house will be called a house of prayer for all nations. Jesus is subtly saying for all nations. And everyone's amazed. And here's why they're amazed. Because they're assuming he's the Messiah. And it was widely believed that when the Messiah arrived, he would actually purge the temple of foreigners, right? That when the Messiah showed up, it was believed that he would actually raise barriers, that he would actually put up more restrictions. Now, here is Jesus, who they believed may be this Messiah, And instead, he's clearing all the barriers in the temple for everyone, including the Gentiles. Jesus was saying, whomever you put in the blank, whatever adjective you may use to describe those individuals, that's whom I am available to. Whether they're Gentile, or pagan, or poor, or unworthy, or unclean, or unfit, or unimportant... And you may think, well, Jesus was just angry because they were selling T-shirts and Girl Scout cookies. It wasn't. It was much more subversive than that. He was actually changing the system itself. He was challenging the adjectives that people were placing in front of other people that would limit their access to God. He was saying this, everyone could now go directly to God. Those with access had set up numerous barriers to those arriving in the temple. Because they didn't really even want them to go in, but this was their thinking. If they're going to come in, let's make it hard. Right? Let's make it difficult. they got to come here. they got to buy this. they got to do this. they got to go this direction. And if we can't make it hard, at least we're going to profit from it. So we're going to make it hard, and then we're going to profit. And hopefully these barriers will stop this influx of those people who are not our kind of people. And at least we can keep them out here in this temple courts. And this is so powerful and maybe emotional for some of us. Maybe it's exactly why you found your way here over the last few weeks or months or years. Because as Jesus was turning over the tables in the courtyard of the temple, as he was flipping over all those obstructions, just steps away from the Holy of Holies, the most sacred place where the Jews believe God's presence dwelt, he was saying what God wants more than anything else is for everyone to be connected with him. This is how Jesus saw people. So if Christ is available, he's either available to everyone, everywhere, or he isn't for anyone, anywhere. Jesus was saying, listen, all these barriers that have been in place for so long, all of these restrictions, all these places that would say stop are over with. This week I was down writing this message um, at this really hipster coffee shop. So if you're not hipster, you can't go. And I'm not hipster, but I snuck in downtown called Public Us, if you haven't been down there, it's awesome. And I'm down there on one afternoon, and if you want to fill in the blanks of all the different adjectives you can put in front of people, just go downtown some afternoon. Just walk around, right? Just, just put a backpack on and stroll, because every adjective you've ever thought of is present down there. And so I'm sitting there, and I'm, I'm thinking about this, and I'm watching, and there's all these people gathering. And some people are sitting on their laptops and they've got their headphones on like I was and they're kind of in their own space. They're officing down there at the coffee shop. Some people are just slipping in for a a lunch or for a quick cup of coffee. Still others are there. Obviously, they're meeting a friend and they're connecting with this friend and they're having animated conversation at the table over here in this corner and that corner. And if, if you were to sit there and try to fill in the blanks of all the individuals inside this coffee shop downtown. There would be plenty of adjectives to describe the people you would see. And I, and I sat back from my computer and I kind of looked around and I kind of scanned the room. And I was wondering if Jesus was sitting there hanging with me, which would be really cool by the way. But he wasn't. But if he was physically there hanging with me, how would he describe the people there? What adjectives would he use? And then it hit me. It's, it's the prioritization. It's, it's what he would prioritize. There's really only two adjectives that he would look around and he would fill in the blank with person after person in that coffee shop. As he would fill in the blank with person after person in your neighborhood, in your office, in your school, or in this room today. And it's these two adjectives, these two words, disconnected or connected. Disconnected or connected. And if we are his body, if we are the reflection of him to the world, then we better see people the way God sees them, and we better feel about people the way God does. Our adjectives should simply be his, connected or disconnected. In the temple courts that day, when Jesus walked in in the midst of chaos, he didn't just see masses of people bumping into each other. He saw the seemingly connected putting up barriers, and he saw The sadly struggling disconnected, trying to be reconnected to the Heavenly Father. And he had to respond. It ticked him off. He had to do something. And this is how he sees everyone. Everyone in your neighborhood, everybody at your work, everybody at your middle school or high school, students in the room, everybody who works on the third floor, everybody on the first floor, those who you envy those who you feel sorry for, every single person you were ever eyeball to eyeball with, Jesus would say this. Jesus would say this. There are many ways I could describe them, and many of them are true. But let me tell you how I view the world. There are people who are connected with my Father in heaven, Jesus would say, and there are people who are disconnected with my Father in heaven. And my primary concern is not the connected. And Jesus would say, listen, I'm glad you're connected. We're like together. That's good. We're in that. But rather, my primary concern is the disconnected and that they have the best opportunity to get reconnected. It's what brought me to earth to begin with. And this tells us why Jesus would throw the tables over. This tells us why he would get righteously angry at what was going on. The reason Jesus was drawn from people far from God is because they were far from God. The reason Jesus was drawn to people who were lost is because they were lost. And we are his body, and what was true of him should be true of us. Now, if you've nodded off because you lost that hour, plug back in. Because here's what's really important. When you think about the connected and the disconnected, The gravitational pull of the church, of the church community, as we as a people of God, is always going to naturally be towards the connected. Towards the connected. It's always going to be towards those who know where to park, who know what time to get here, who know how to get first in line, who know how to get the free coffee, where to sit. They know the words to all the songs. They know all the people around them. The church as a community is always going to gravitationally pull that way. And so often the programming, the budget of our churches is so well-meaning, but it ends up putting up barriers to those who are disconnected. And there's a narrative out there right now that really exists that we have to stop and talk about, especially in regards to Christians and to our Christian churches. The narrative, and listen, we are largely responsible for it is that churches and Christians have barriers. That Christians and churches have not made it easy for people to access. And these barriers come in different forms, but they're barriers nonetheless. I want to put up a couple here. All right? First one's this. It's what we call the barrier of exclusion. Exclusion. That means when we start filling in the blank. We think about the people we don't really like, and we put up a barrier. It doesn't always like physical. It it really starts in here, right? A couple years ago, I made up this list. I want to read it again. I know it doesn't apply to anybody in this room, but I'll read it, right? This is a list of people you may not like, all right? Don't look at your spouse. They're not on the list, all right? Here we go. Here we go. Here's the list. Because the people we don't like tend to be the people that we put in this category, All right, here's some. Some of us, we don't like rich people, right? You drove in today in your hoopty car, the fender's falling off, and you park next to a Beamer. You're like, I don't like that person. I don't even know him, but I don't like him, right? Some of you don't like poor people. You see them, you think they're just lazy. Some of you don't like fat people, right? Some of you don't like skinny people. You're like, eat a pizza or something. Come on, let's go. Some of you... You're like older single gals and you don't like younger single gals, right? You wish they'd go to a different church, leave your territory alone, all right? Get out of here, all right? You don't like them. Some of you younger single guys don't like the older guys that are single. You're like, you had your opportunity. Get out of here, old man. Some of you, we exclude because we don't like black people. Some of you don't. You got a problem with it. Some of you, you don't like white people. And so you fill in that adjective and you exclude them and you put up barriers. Some of us, we have an attitude against divorced people or single moms. We look at her and we say, what did she do? Maybe we we don't like people with bad taste. We look at their shoes and think, really? (laughs) Some of you don't like stay-at-home moms. You think, what else could she be doing all day? Some of you really don't like stay-at-home dads. Some of you don't like people because they send their kids to public school. Some of you don't like people because they send their kids to private school. So you exclude them out. Some of you don't like working moms. You think they really should be at home. Some of you don't like athletes. I was waiting. Some of you don't like artsy people. You think they're all gay. They're all gay, right? Some of you don't like gay people, right? You think it's polarizing. It's Listen, rejection is never a catalyst forward on someone's spiritual journey. Get over it, all right? Rejection is never a catalyst. Listen. Some of you, some of you, you exclude people because they're business people and you think of somebody who ripped you off or sued you. Some of you don't like people who have five kids, you're like, they're so irresponsible. Some of you don't like people who have one kid, you're like, they're so selfish, right? (laughs) All of this we do because we exclude people. And Jesus always pursued those who were rejected. He always did. The second one is, not only do we, ex- we exclude, but we have, ex- yeah, they all start with E. That's why I sat down at the coffee shop for so long, all right? <laughs> Some of us, we have expectations. We do. Now, let me speak to this real quick. It's important you hear this. Part of this expectation that's new for us is there's this political climate right now that's going on, okay, both sides, Where there's this expectation that's suddenly out there that politically you need to think like I think if you are truly a follower of Christ. I can't imagine that you think about this politically or you voted for this person politically and you call yourself a Christian. right. And so what we've done, folks, what we've done is we've laid the expectation out into the culture that not only does someone need to get over the barrier to actually believe and to follow Christ, but they actually have to get over all the things that you believe politically because they believe if they come in here, they've got to believe exactly the same way you believe. So they may believe in Jesus, but they can't follow what you believe, and so it's a barrier. We've got to stop with those expectations. We've got to understand that Jesus doesn't care who you voted for. He cares who you're connecting to him. The last one is this. It's another E. It's the extracurricular. And I'll just briefly say this. It's just, it's just the guys in the temple. They're selling this and selling that and do this and buy that and have this before you can go in there. We do it. right, And as churches, we just have to be cautious. Right Where we tell people, go to this, do that, jump through that hoop. We talk a lot about next steps here, and we believe that. But simple next steps. You have to give here and go there and be in this and join that and do all those things. And there are things that are important in your journey towards Christ. But when I say extracurricular, I mean they become barriers where someone can't believe because they're not ready to jump into this, that, or the other thing. And here's what happens if we're here. Okay, you ready? Is eventually, if we're not careful, our emotions will be impacted by these barriers. And you'll start lashing out at people who don't agree with you, and you won't like people who don't see the world the way you see it. And God says when you've done that, you've joined the ranks of the Pharisees, and you've joined the ranks of those who think because they are connected, they're good. And maybe someday, some way, everybody else will catch up. And so that's what it means for us, beginning with me, if we misprioritize the adjectives when it comes to how we see people. And Jesus is standing in the temple court and he's saying, this is not how I see the world. This is not how I divide the world. And this is not why I was sent into the world. He did not come to the world to gather all the connected people so we could just hang together. His concern is the disconnected. And that's why our largest never violate this value at the crossing is so important. And it's driven everything that we've done in our history. It's the filter through which we drive everything that we do. It's the chorus of chorus values. And it's simply this that we want to be a culture where you can come as you are. Even if the fill in the blank isn't that awesome. And we, would, we, we can never allow ourselves, guys, to drift to the point where we actually set up barriers to belonging. Where there are exclusions before you can belong. Where there are expectations. Where there are extracurricular activities. Barriers to belonging will quickly become barriers to believing. Barriers to belonging will quickly become barriers to believing. If you're new here today, first of all, thanks for getting out of bed. All right? Listen, we want you to know that this is a place where we work really hard that you will know that you can belong here before you believe anything that we do. We want to be a place where people have permission to explore their faith before they actually believe. We want you to be able to take small steps The following, like Alpha, we have this group on Tuesday night, they meet and they ask all these crazy questions and they sit around and they they talk about all this stuff that's disconnected people want to talk about so that they can get connected. We want to be that kind of place. A little over 10 years ago, my wife and I, we were pastoring a church and we had this building we built and so we decided we wanted to put some local art up in the building. And so we went down to the first Friday to the art walk and there's a lot of art there you cannot put in a church building, all right. So, so, we're walking around and we walk into this little closet like art studio, right? And we're looking at these paintings and they're awesome. And there's this young gal sitting there and her name's Jen Main. And I take one of Jen's cards and I send her an email that week and I say, Jen, we really liked your paintings. Like, we have this church and we really like to put your paintings up in the lobby. I had no idea who she was, right? And a few months ago, Jen sent me this. She said, This was my response when you sent me that email. So I want to read it to you. These are Jen's words, not mine, okay? She said this, and, and Jen's the one that you've seen, like when you go to the restroom and you see the big painting and you've seen her paint on stage a couple times here. Here's, here's what her response was. She says, I thought that was kind of odd, but kind of cool. That's how Jen talks. And from my background in church, I never spoke to or got to know the pastor. They always seemed so unreachable and unknowable. They stayed on stage and gave sermons. That's right. So she said, I liked getting an email from a pastor type. I was not going to church at the time. I was fairly suspicious of churches, even though I grew up going to church. Church had had become something I figured, listen to this, I figured was for the well-dressed, well-to-do, judgmental, no fun, self-righteous hypocrites. I was secretly struggling with things, and the last thing I wanted was to join the I'm perfect, you're not church club. But I was curious. I went to church with my boyfriend, now husband, before I even considered putting any art up. And it connected. She said, I've been living, I had been living my way, which wasn't going so well, and needing help, needing more of God, and needing community. It changed my whole perspective, and I healed from past experiences. I love what she says right here. Listen. I realized that a healthy, perfectly imperfect church that relies on God's grace and love is a necessary part of God's plan. And Jen, let me put her art up. Right? And I got this picture from Jen last week on Instagram where she's at, she's at this church in downtown L.A. now. And she's up there on a Wednesday night and she's speaking in front of all these people to this church. And she's pulling people in, with all sorts of adjectives where you would fill in the blank. She's right in the middle of that. And she's not only an artist, but she's communicating so that the disconnected can get connected to Jesus because she understands barriers. She understands that. So here's the question. Let's not be those people. Let's not be the people that Jen talked about. Let's keep our adjectives straight and take our cues straight from Christ. And if we feel connected, that's great. You feel connected. Let's be sure and keep our eyes and our lives focused on those who are still disconnected. Why? Because his love is for everyone. If it's not for everyone everywhere, then it's not for anyone anywhere. And I don't know if you're sitting in here today and you may say, that's not... I'm at this strange place in my spiritual journey. You may be sitting in there you don't know whether you love God or hate God. You don't know whether you love church or hate church. But I do know this. If your picture of God as you sit here today is anything less than a God who loves you and loves your neighbor, then you've got the wrong picture of God. If your picture of God is filled with, with barriers that have unfortunately been placed in front of you and connecting to Jesus, I want you to turn those over today. I want you to flip those tables over today. I want you to shove them down. Don't let those things keep you from Christ. And we as a church and we as Christians must keep asking the question where and who are the most disconnected? And what barriers, what tables exist in our lives that Jesus, if he was standing here, would turn over? He would turn them over with those attitudes in our lives, those perspectives, that anger. Those things that are barriers to others that he would turn over so that he could connect the disconnected to him. What are they? In our lives and as our lives as the church, all right? We fill in the blanks in lots of ways, folks. We have this thing. We, we, <laughs> I have this thing I use sometimes. There are people that are tough, right? Sometimes people are difficult. I get that. Connected and disconnected alike. We have this thing I call EGR. EGR, you can use it. It means extra grace required. There are people, when you fill in the blank, they're EGR all day, right? They're awesome people. It's like, man, when I'm around Sam, it's extra grace required all the time. But it doesn't matter because he wants to connect the disconnected. And he wants us to be a part of that. Let's pray. Father, we're grateful that we get to be a part of this incredible plan that you put in place and somehow figured it would be great to partner with us in executing it. And, God, we want to just confess where we have been barrier builders. Father, we just pray that moving out into our world, even today, as we move through the lobby to our cars and back into the community and culture we exist in, God, that we, our eyes would be open to the disconnected. God, it could simply be a word or an invitation or an act of kindness or just the perspective we take towards them. God, I pray where we have, have placed rejection barriers in front of people, people that aren't like us, God, that they would still like us and they would be curious about you and they would want to get connected with you because of something about us. Forgive us where we've pushed people away. God, we want to be a catalyst forward in people's spiritual journey towards you. God, we ask these things in your name. Amen.